0: Hey everybody, it's me, your old friend Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen a classic episode about the Philadelphia Experiment, a weird urban legend about a World War II naval experiment gone awry that I have to say I found oddly satisfying to explain away because i used to be really into this whole urban legend when i was a younger kid uh, back when i had my time life paranormal book series so it was very fun to revisit it and then debunk it i hope you'll enjoy it as much as i did it's from october 2015 so giddy up and enjoy
1: welcome to stuff you should know a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hey and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is a special edition of Stuff You Should Know because Jerry is transmogrified into guest producer
1: Noel, <laughs> which is requires quite a bit of alchemy. It does, you know, and a little bit of alcohol. Yeah, and some uh, and like a magnificent brown bearded that chia, is chia pet. Nice. <laughs> There's a woodchuck waving from there, <laughs> looking good, Noel. Yeah, Jerry's gone on a top secret mission Can't talk about it, so it makes it top secret You're talking about it right now But she's coming back at some point, don't worry yep. She's not left this forever
0: No, this is a stint by guest producer Noel We'll have to make a suite out of it Yeah, uh, Noel produced shows you should know Summer of Sam, Death Suite, Noel's stint Noel's stint <laughs> That sounds gross <laughs> uh, How you doing, man? I'm great. I'm so used to reading ads these days that like I just panicked, like I lost my place. And then I was like, oh yeah, it's the actual podcast. I can just ramble and stall <laughs> as long as I need to. Yeah. You remember this from your being a kid? Was this in your wheelhouse to fill the Philadelphia uh, experiment? The movie was. watched The Last Night. Sure. Oh, did you really? Yes. Wow. It is basically, I mean, the plot makes sense, but it's like a 15 minute plot. Yeah. They manage a lot of chasing in yeah, they to, really, to
1: really draw it out. they really gussied. Yeah, they drew it out.
0: But <laughs> the see. idea behind it, especially when, let's see, 1984, I was eight. Yeah. And I was. this was about the time where I'm like, I'm going to Duke University to study parapsychology when I get older. When you were eight? Yeah. I didn't even know what college was when I was eight. Definitely, that was in my wheelhouse. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so this was like right up my alley. Yeah. And now that I, I watch it as a child, I'm like, man, I was an idiot when I was eight. Yeah, but it was pretty cool. The, the special effects are
1: like eighties rific. Oh yes, they do not hold up.
0: No, but I mean, if you're a fan of Tron,
1: you're sure. gonna or Videodrome, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna love this movie. Uh, starring the great Michael Pere. yes, and um, RoboCop's partner. Yeah, Nancy Allen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was she... What else was she in famously? She was in a bunch of 80s movies. Uh, She was big back then. What was her big one, though? Or was she always, like, co-starring the female lead? I think, yeah, I don't think she was ever, like, the lead in a movie. They didn't make movies with female leads in the 80s.
0: Uh, I can't remember in this context, are we allowed to say female or should it be the girl lead?
1: It's a female lead, right? They didn't make leads with uh, women uh, as the lead <laughs> in the 80s they're all just there to prop up the dudes right which uh, is uh, although still how it working is working girl that was in the 80s good point nine to five three ladies mm-hmm. all right I'll take it back okay few and far between what i am I'm trying to lobby for gender equality in Hollywood yeah and, well, you should. And you're like, no, look at 9 to 5.
0: <laughs> no, I'm just saying. It's. I mean, there were some. Yeah, yeah, you're but right. Yeah, you, I, I agree with you. I don't mean to argue. You're right. It's few. They were few <laughs> and far
1: between. That's what you call a trap. What about Barbarella? Yeah, that was what, 70s or was it 60s? I think the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Jane Fonda. Well, just like
0: the makers of the Philadelphia Experiment, you and I know how to draw out a 15-minute plot.
1: <laughs> hey, also I wanted to point out Michael Perret disappeared in Eddie and the Cruisers.
0: Oh, was it was he in that? He was Eddie. Was the was that based on Bruce Springsteen or something like that? <laughs> no. Was it based on any real life band?
1: No. Oh. I mean it, it, it echoed. He was he was Springsteen-esque. Right. But it wasn't like, you know, I think they were just I think the writer was like, "Who do I like? Yeah, I like Springsteen." Yeah. So let's get John Caffrey to to sing like Springsteen mm-hmm. and put Michael Pere to lip sync. Wow, that's a it's Eddie. That's <laughs> that's eighties riffic too. And I saw John Cafferty in concert in the eighties. That's how. It, what else is he in? No, he was the band. He was the real band, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. Okay, they sang those songs for real, and I saw them in concert at Six Flags. Wow, how about that? And they've now become the Zach Brown Band. <laughs> that's right.
0: Right. Who looks like Noel? <laughs> hey. Full circle. Full circle. We just did it. Can we be done now? Yep. So, the Philadelphia experiment, I guess, was right up Michael Perry's um, alley because it echoed real life, too. In That's a way. Right. In a way. Sure. Uh, the makers went back and read a couple of books that purported to be nonfiction accounts of this incredible experiment carried out by the, the Navy. So incredible. And we should probably, let's let's describe the experiment to begin with, right? Uh, experiments, we should say. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this article gets it wrong yeah. on how stuff works.
1: Yeah, there were two separate things, uh, both involving the uh, a destroyer ship called the USS Eldridge, recently commissioned. Uh, summer of 1943 is when it began. July, I think. And what supposedly happened was... That there was um, this ship, and there was a big secret Navy experiment
0: mm-hmm.
1: that whose what's aim was to make the ship disappear.
0: Yeah, not just to like radar something like that, but sure. if there was a guy with a periscope, he would look right past the ship because it had been made invisible. Essentially invisible. And then the story goes that that was successful. It was a successful experiment
1: that was carried out. Yeah, it disappeared in full view in broad daylight Uh uh, from the, was it the Philadelphia shipyard? Yep. And then reappeared. uh, There was a big glow. Yes. And then it reappeared, and all the, the sailors aboard in bad shape. So did that take place in July or was that... That took place in July.
0: Okay, well, okay. Then it happened again in October?
1: Within the second experiment? Yeah, then they retried the experiment. Supposedly, the ship disappeared and popped up in Virginia. Norfolk, Virginia. And then, then reappeared 10 minutes prior. So it time traveled back 10 minutes in, uh, to Philadelphia again.
0: Right. And Which again... Is-
1: the sailors were in bad shape.
0: Even by teleportation standards, that's impossible.
1: <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, and supposedly these uh, the shipmen were um, uh, seamen were were some were caught like in the middle of the ship, right? Like, and crazed and crazy, right? So
0: basically, the implication is is that they had been some sort of, or in some fashion, molecularly disintegrated, yes. along with the ship, and then when it was brought back together. The coordinates were maybe off slightly. Right. Maybe the ship and the people were where they were ten minutes earlier. Right. And things just went a little
1: haywire. Like, oh, my upper half's on the Lido deck and my lower half's on the, uh, what were the other decks on the level deck?
0: The, uh, man, that's the only deck I know. The party deck. The tango deck? Sure. (laughs) The tango deck. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, And the, 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 and I'm still alive. And I've also gone
1: mad because my brain didn't configure back correctly either. Yes, and this was all possible thanks to um, Albert Einstein working with the Navy and teaching them all his little tricks on how you can make ships disappear in time travel. Specifically,
0: the theory is that, um, or the rumor, the conjecture, the conspiracy theory, is that um, Albert Einstein figured out the unified field theory.
1: Which Just is not true. He
0: did not. Basically, the theory of everything. No, it frustrated him for his whole life. Um, there's this idea in physics that there's p- possibly one explanation for the behavior of everything in the universe. Yeah. Right now, we've got a pretty good theory. I think the theory of special relativity ties in three of the fundamental forces in the universe. Yeah. But gravity is this outlier that can't be tied in through physics Formulas, and they think that there's some way of understanding things to where everything ties together. And as I think Michio Kaku famously put it, um, he said that what what they're searching for with a unified field theory is with a uh, formula an inch long. Yeah. you'll be able to read God's mind. Man. so the idea is that that Einstein came up with this unified th- field theory. Yeah, again, not true and that it was used to understand how to teleport things so they used this understanding to carry out an experiment with
1: a bunch of navy seamen on a destroyer yeah. in broad daylight cuz you can you can imagine the advantage to be able to make your ship invisible not only that if you could figure out how to teleport it like you're you're done dude no more war, because you would win them all, yeah. and the rest of the world would just cower at your invisible feet. Yeah. You'd just suddenly
0: pop up behind your enemy, yeah. put him in a full Nelson, and be like, you give, you give. You'd be like, I give. And that's it. You yeah. just let him go and be like, that's right. And you teleport out of there. You see how easily
1: that could happen? Nazi? Unified field theory. All right. So the Philadelphia experiment never happened like that, at least. What? We'll go ahead and... Not give any credence to the conspiracy theorists out there. Although, we'll probably get a couple of people to email then. Oh man, this is
0: this is like a nucleus of conspiracy theory. It ties in UFOs, sure. Ties in theoretical physics. Yeah, the U.S. government, of course. Yep, uh, a ginormous cover up. Yeah. Um, it, it ties in all these different things. and It's really, really interesting. If you go read this stuff, it's 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 to me, it's more interesting than just. Just UFO conspiracy theory or just government cover-up conspiracy theory. It's like a clearinghouse of conspiracy theories all tied up into one package uh, on the secret experiment that, if you listen to the Navy's official line, never took place. There never was a Philadelphia experiment. Right. There never was. It was also known as Project Rainbow. There was never a Project Rainbow. No. Um, it just didn't happen. The whole thing was made up out of whole cloth, apparently by a guy named uh, Carlos M. Allende.
1: Yeah, and there were there was a couple of hinky details. We'll go over why this thing has survived uh, a little bit later, but there are a few hinky details, not to make it believable, but that just have fueled the fire over the years. Yeah.
0: And w- let's, let's take a break right here, Chuck, because I'm getting a little overexcited. Okay. Just put this under your tongue. You'll be fine. Okay.
1: Wake up, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) What? We're back. Oh, okay. How much time has passed in your mind? Millions of years. No, it's only been about three hours. Oh, okay. Do you feel rested? I do feel very refreshed. Good. Well, we can continue. So, uh, you teased a man named, uh, well, he had some different names. Carl M. Allen, or under his pseudonym, Carlos Miguel uh, Allende. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, hey, let me throw a DE on the end. I'll sound mysterious. Yeah, an OS <laughs> and a DE. So uh, in 1956, uh, I was going to get in the Wayback Machine, but I don't think we should even bother for this.
0: No, this actually <laughs> proves there
1: is no Wayback Machine. That's right. So in 1956, in real time, uh, Allende sent... Um, a letter, and he would go on to send about fifty more letters to an author named Morris Jessup, mm-hmm. who wrote a book a year earlier called The Case for the UFO.
0: Yes, which you can find on the podcast page for this episode.
1: Yeah, and he's a—he was an author. He's like a legit dude that wrote a bunch of books. I mean, well, I mean, he's legit, <laughs> I don't mean re- legit as in uh, like he proved any science behind UFOs. Right, right. But he, he was—he he authored books for real. Yes. He right. wasn't printing man. he wasn't just publishing manifestos online.
0: And he was a, um, a conspiratorially minded investigator. Yeah. But if you read like his writing, it was just nothing but conjecture. Sure. N- nothing. There was nothing in it but conjecture presented oh, yeah. as fact. Yeah. And he even says like these are, Uh, There are three basic proven facts about this, and then here's some more facts, and it's
1: like, (laughs) no, these aren't facts at all, but it's really fascinating stuff. Maybe he doesn't know what facts are. (laughs) Maybe so. Uh, So he got these letters, and um, in these letters, uh, at first there were some attacks on him from, uh, from Alan saying, you don't know what you're talking about, man. You're getting this unified field theory all wrong, and I know because Einstein spent several weeks with me teaching me this stuff himself. Yeah, and not only that. So it's like cuckoo pot writes crackpot.
0: Right. And he he was saying like I can prove that that unified field theory has been mastered by describing this experiment that took place in Philadelphia in nineteen forty three concerning one US destroyer called the USS Eldridge.
1: Yes, and he said, I know this because I was there, buddy. I was on a ship in that harbor, and there were other ships in the harbor. That seems to be the only part that's true.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a place where ships were being outfitted yeah, like throughout
1: guy. the summer and fall. Yeah, It was the war. That's right. So he claimed that he was on one of these ships. He said, I witnessed this uh, in person. I saw this green glow. I saw this thing disappear.
0: Not only that, he, could, come see, back. he could see the, the field that was created by this, this um, experiment. Yeah, the green glow. And he stuck his arm into it. He was that close. Stuff of movies, right? Stuff of <laughs> 1980s B movies.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he sends these letters and... He sends like 50 of them. Yeah. And Jessup said, uh, you know what? Let me investigate this a little bit because I'm a crackpot too. I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. So let me just check into this. A little <laughs>
0: this, is, this is right up my alley. Yeah,
1: thank you for these. Uh, let me look into this a little bit. And he basically gave up because the, the dude could produce, he asked him for some evidence. Or names. Anything. Dates. And he had nothing.
0: He didn't. He just said, here's the story and it's fact. And he goes, um, Carlos Allende, who by then I think had dropped the pseudonym, right, to Carl Allen.
1: Who knows? He might have called himself Big Bird right. at that point. So he was, and he was a very disturbed man. Yeah, I'm joking, but yeah, he, he had mental problems. He did. Um, but
0: if you if you research him, and you research even skeptics of the Philadelphia Experiment, like the stuff he was coming up with was really interesting stuff. Yeah, he was good a good writer. But he was a huge confabulator as well. Sure. So um, he's saying all this as, as fact, and he... Uh, he, he's saying, I don't know what the dates were. I don't know the people's names or anything like that. But perhaps if I were put under narco-hypnosis, I would remember all this stuff. So you got any drugs? Yeah. And about this time, uh, Jessup said, I'm done with this, right? He had yeah. actually moved on because apparently the government had directly addressed UFO rumors. And no. Jessup didn't do that. I'm sorry. Another guy did. Oh, okay. Um, who was interested in researching, um, Allende. But I'm sure Jessup was like, I gotta get
1: back to my serious work investigating he, he, UFOs. He did.
0: Yeah. But then something truly bizarre happened. And this did happen. He got a, a knock on his door. And two researchers from the Office of Naval Research, who would have been carrying out experiments like this, yeah, said, sure. Hey, have you ever heard of a guy named Carlos Allende? And you probably could have picked uh, M.K. Jessup
1: off the floor. I would imagine so. Because, Cause, I mean. Yeah, he was like,
0: it's all true. Yeah, man. exactly.
1: <laughs> and he said, come in, come in, please, have some tea, have some opiates. Uh, it was 1957 at this point. And they said, you know what, we got a package a year ago. Um, and it had a copy of your book, my friend, on um, The UFOs. Mm-hmm. And it was. Um, the Case it was, for UFOs. Yeah, it was annotated. Very heavily by three people. Well, by by three sets of ink and three types of handwriting, right. which were all clearly uh, from Carl Allen.
0: Well, they were to M.K. Jessup, who corresponded with Carl Allen for well over fifty letters, right?
1: Yeah, he said, I- "I'm not fooled. This guy Jemmy J.E.M.I., who may have been an alien. It's it's Carl Allen and Mister A and Mister B are both Carl Allen. Right. They're they're all Carl Allen,
0: but." Regardless of whether they were all one dude, the the annotations had fascinated these two Navy researchers enough that they uh, supposedly, as far as the Office of Naval Research officially says, they took it upon themselves and paid out of their own pockets and I guess took vacation time to go find uh, M.K. Jessup.
1: Yeah, I haven't found, I saw a bunch of conflicting reports on that, whether or not, and this is what conspiracy theorists will point to, that, Mm -hmm. Either it was official business or they did it on their own. Either way, they say that that means something. And I've heard it explained away as it was just something on their list that they eventually had to get to.
0: That seems like a terrible explanation. I think this adds like a real wrinkle to the story, whether purposefully or it's just something that can't be very easily explained away. Maybe it is. It was just these guys were really interested in this. Maybe they were into UFO stuff or whatever. Maybe. It doesn't matter. The fact that those two guys showed up gives this thing legs for miles. Sure. You know? And it's just awesome that that happened because –
1: that has kept this thing alive, in part. Yeah, and the box came to them uh, marked "Happy Easter," which I always sounds kind of funny, <laughs> and uh, it had weird punctuation and capitalizations—all right. all the marks of a madman. Right. Um, but again, like
0: the stuff he was saying was—it was—it was curiosity arousing in these guys, and they actually took—and um, again, supposedly paid for out of their own pocket—the um, annotated version of the case for UFOs and published it. With annotations, uh, they had a, a contractor, a military contractor called Vero Technologies, I think, and um, had them publish
1: it, which is yeah. weird,
0: especially if they were doing it out of their own pocket. But it was only again,
1: 127 copies. I imagine it didn't I, cost that much. I saw 25 even, and they were like spiral bound, so it wasn't anything yeah. fancy. I read a lot of this, and it's, um, it's, you know, it's like it's really out there. Yeah, you know, sure. But I imagine if you're a UFO enthusiast, it might interest you.
0: I mean, if you read um, Morris
1: Jessup's stuff, it's out there too. Well, imagine I, reading I, that with the annotation from right. this other dude.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I get the impression that uh, Carlos pretty. Allende's stuff is even more out there. Yeah,
1: you can get it online. It's on, uh, there's PDFs of it if you want to. Oh, of
0: the Vero one? Oh, yeah. But supposedly there's a lot of forged copies as well. Oh, really? In
1: circulation, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This seemed real. Huh. Um why would someone take the time to forge a copy of the Crackpot Manifesto? That's the question we should all be asking ourselves. <laughs> so, um, Jessup's story, uh, ends just a couple of years later. He was, uh, down on his luck and he got injured really badly in a car accident, had a bad breakup with his wife, and he killed himself. He, he put a hose from his, uh, car exhaust into his window. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is one of the other reasons that, Conspiracy theory. Anytime there's oh, a, yeah. a suicide yeah. and there's the government involved, it's pretty easy to say he didn't kill himself; the government killed him.
0: Right. It's made all the more suspicious, though, because um, supposedly he—that was the day that he was to meet a friend, yeah—who he had said he had told, "I've made a breakthrough in the Philadelphia Experiment case," yeah, and then all of a sudden he turns up dead of a suicide, yeah. So, well, I mean, that and the ONR guy showing up at his door. Definitely has kept this
1: thing alive. It has. Uh, sup- um, supposedly, his friends came out and said, "No, he was deeply depressed, and he had talked of suicide in the months before he committed suicide." Yeah, but then I'm sure conspiracy theorists will say they paid them off, man. Right. Yeah, because people said, uh, "You can let my family go now, maybe." Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Did what you said. And the uh, Eldridge um, had a pretty uh, well. It didn't go on to like great things. It was uh, sold to Greece or transfer degrees, renamed the H.S. Leon, um, used in exercises and then sold for scrap metal in the 1990s. Yep. So no big deal with the boat, right? No bigs. So uh, we'll take another little break here, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about what really happened in the Philadelphia shipyard that day. All right, what really happened, Josh? Uh,
0: Nothing. (laughs) That's supposedly what really happened. Apparently on that day in the naval shipyard, uh, I guess either July or October. But July, I think, is the one that people typically, if they just think it was a one-day thing rather than two separate experiments, it's usually July that they point to, which they did in this article, too. Yeah. On that particular day... Um, the USS Eldridge wasn't even in Philadelphia. Yeah, this is the part I don't understand. It was in Brooklyn. Yeah. So here's the thing. This is, th- that revelation came out in 1999. We'll get to that in a minute. Prior to this, there is a researcher. He's an astrophysicist and ufologist named Jacques, Jacques F. Valet. <laughs> and he was actually the inspiration for the, uh, ufologist Frenchman character in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. And he was also like a venture capitalist. He's a pretty sharp dude. He just had some uh, unusual interests, right? Yes. But one of the things that he dedicated himself to was disproving the Philadelphia Experiment, proving that it was a hoax. He was a skeptic, right? Yes. In some manner, he was a skeptic. Yeah. So he wrote a paper, and um, in the paper, he invited people to, uh, to reach out to him if they had further information about the Philadelphia Experiment, and as a result... Allegedly, he was contacted in 1994 by a guy named, uh, Edward Dugin. Or Dudgeon. Let's say Dudgeon. It's a little, a little more pleasant than Dugin.
1: I bet his friend called him the Dungeon. Yeah, I'll bet. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would have called him. Yeah. So, yeah, he responded. The paper was called Anatomy of a Hoax, colon, the Philadelphia Experiment 50 years later in the Journal of Scientific Exploration. And, uh, Dudgeon got in touch and said, you know what? I was in the Navy from forty-two to forty-five. I was on that boat, and uh, I can explain what happened. Yeah, which is pretty exciting. Well, he was a, he yeah. was on the Engstrom, which was there at the same time. Oh, I thought he was on the actual boat. No, no
0: he was an electrician on the Engstrom, gotcha. but he said he was fully aware of all of the electrical components on the Engstrom and on the Eldridge. Yeah, because they all party together. Sure, exactly. That was, that actually comes <laughs> yeah. comes up later. Um, so he he was saying he. He basically had a pat and completely sensible and reasonable answer for every single part of the Philadelphia experiment. For example, part of the Philadelphia experiment legend is that a brawl broke out in a bar following the experiment, and two of the sailors on board the Eldridge suddenly disappeared. They vanished. Yes. Well, um, Dugin, Dudgeon. Says, I was one of those guys. I actually faked my age on my enlistment paper. So I was underage and shouldn't have been in the bar. And the bar, the, the bartender, um, took pity on me and another underage dude and shooed us out the back door and then pretended that, uh, she'd never seen us. So they disappeared. They disappeared, exactly. <laughs> out the back door. Another one he says, um, he, well, he explains the whole thing, basically, right? He yeah. says there was no experiment like that, but they were doing something that might have seemed freaky to the uninitiated, and that was degaussing the, the ships.
1: Yeah, at the time, uh, Germany and I guess everyone else really in the navy, in the navies Around the world, uh, they had magnetic uh, mines, sea mines, right. which would uh, find your boat and you know go. Ooh, that's metal. Let me go stick on that thing and blow up. Yeah, and torpedoes that were magnetic seeking too. Yeah, and they thought, you know what? Let's come up with a way to make our ship hulls and uh, our metal parts um, non-magnetic to these to these uh, obstacles.
0: Right, which is an established um, project, I guess or an established, what's the word I'm looking for? Process. Sure. So I was close with projects. Yeah, it was a real thing. Yeah. It's called degaussing, uh, and it basically either changes or um, gets rid of the magnetism of a of something that was formerly magnetic, like yeah. a ship's hull.
1: It does not make it invisible
0: no, it to radar or otherwise. But it probably looks pretty weird, right? So they wrapped the ships in hundreds and hundreds of meters of cable, um, and then ran a really high-voltage electrical charge through it. And supposedly this would demagnetize the ships, which really came in handy. Because at the time, um, just outside of um, America's coastal waters was called the Graveyard of the Atlantic. Yeah. Because German U-boats were running the show out there at this time.
1: Yeah, and as we learned in our... Uh did Nazis invade Florida? Mm-hmm. They sometimes were parked right off the coast. Exactly.
0: So they were taking out our destroyers and our cruisers and our battleships. So this was a this was a big deal to be able to do that kind of thing. Although, it, it, and it was classified stuff. It wasn't experimentation in anything that hadn't been proven before. It was like you know, we're we're just demagnetizing our battleships.
1: Yeah, they could have had a big sign up that said, degaussing at work." But stand back <laughs> yeah it was no big super secret thing right but if you're a nazi don't read this sign <laughs> right
0: um the other thing that uh dudgeon addressed was the the concept that the eldridge disappeared from the philadelphia shipyard reappeared in norfolk and then reappeared back in philadelphia well that happened but it just went there and then came back right but it, it didn't happen in like Five minutes or ten minutes or thirty seconds. No, but again, he points out, like if you weren't really, if you were just casually paying attention, you might have seen the uh, the Eldridge in Philadelphia that night, and then noticed it was missing late at night, and then noticed it was back in the morning.
1: Yeah, which would seem impossible because that was supposedly a two day trip.
0: Yeah, two days, including there and back. Yeah, the round trip was two days up the up the coast, but apparently the Navy had a canal that they used. Um, I think the Delaware-Chesapeake Canal that only the military
1: could use, and they could make that round trip in six hours. Yeah, so in other words, it's easily explainable that it just simply, uh, I keep wanting to say sailed, but it's not sailing. I think they still call
0: it that. Do they? Set sail, yeah. Okay. Ship
1: out. Yeah, it's shipped out. and Took sh- off. Ship back. Right. And... A regular amount of time, right? And it just became part of the lore.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you can even tack on a few hours there. Apparently, Norfolk was when they where they outfitted it with with their explosives, and apparently they could load a, a battleship in four hours. Yeah. So even taking that into account, it's still ten hours if it shipped out at eleven p.m., which is what uh, uh, Dudgeon says, right? Dudgeon. I think you went with Dudgeon. Yeah, um, he. Uh, He says that it shipped out at 11. It'd still be back by 9 a.m. Yeah. So, again, if you're just casually paying attention, what seems pretty mysterious really took on legs over time. It's basically like a game of telephone, like any conspiracy theory. Sure. Maybe there's a kernel of truth that got exaggerated by some drunken sailors and then, bam. Bam. It gets shrunk down to 10 seconds through a teleportation experiment.
1: Well, and these sailors, the drunken sailors, supposedly could have been overheard saying things like, you know, they're going to make a ship disappear, they're going to make us invisible. When, in fact, what they were saying is they're going to make it more or less invisible to these mines. Right. Got all twisted around. It wasn't literally invisible.
0: Yeah. And so there were apparently tons of um, merchant seamen around the area. As well, yes, so again, this would have been classified stuff if there had been loose li- lips which sink ships, they do, um, and somebody had said like we're going to make it invisible, like you said, they would have picked up on that. Maybe they were the ones who were um, just casually paying attention to the to the Eldridge here or there, and it just seemed to disappear and reappear, yeah um, and there's this guy named uh, Robert Gorman. And he, um in a 1980 Fate magazine article, uh, wrote about tracking down Carlos Allende. He was from the same hometown as yeah. him. And it turned out that he already knew the guy's father. He just didn't realize that he was Carlos Allende's father, or Carl Allen's father. Your old man Allen's son? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um And he managed to interview the family and get a, a pretty good picture of the guy. Um, but one of the things that he found was Carl Allen's merchant seaman papers. Yeah. So it's entirely possible he was there around the time, or if he wasn't there at the time, um, he may have been, he may have known
1: somebody who was there at the time. I could totally see him have been there, and that's probably how he got the idea to cook it up. Right. Okay. I believe all that.
0: Yeah. And again, all of this lands squarely on the desk of Carl Allen because no one, no one Talked about the Philadelphia experiment. Well, it was never, those words were never put together until he, his first letter to Morris Jessup, right? So it appears to have been yeah. totally fabricated by him.
1: Yeah, and, um, after the movie came out, people started coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> this guy. Including a dude named Alfred, uh, Bialik. Have you who, been to his website? Uh, oh yeah, he's, he's something else. He made a, a video, uh, called uh the Philadelphia Experiment Part One, Crossroads of History. And he claims that he was a physicist on board the Eldridge, uh and he was a part of the team. And not only that, he says he time traveled uh in nineteen forty three all the way to nineteen eighty three mm-hmm. during the experiment to tell his story. That sounds extremely close to the plot of the Philadelphia experiment <laughs> movie. Yeah, and
0: and sure. I'm Except sure. it was a little different. In the movie, he travels from 1943 to 1984. Ooh. Um, we, we shouldn't mock this guy. <laughs> it's uh, a fascinating website. Yeah. But he puts himself squarely at the, the, um, the center of the Philadelphia experiment. And he also
1: says that he was part of the Montauk Project. Yeah, which they're sort of tied together somehow. Yeah, we sh- well. We should do one on that at some point. Somehow. Debunking things. This guy, this
0: guy wrote a book where he just basically made this stuff up out of whole cloth. Yeah. He says that the book, whether you take it as science fact or science fiction, you're in for a really great story. Um, even though it's, it's basically loaded with soft facts. This, this is the author in the preface, right? Yeah. But basically it's this extension that like the, the Philadelphia experiment was wildly successful and from that we learned all sorts of things like getting in touch with extraterrestrials, being able to teleport everywhere, um, just doing all sorts of really interesting things. Basically anything you can possibly think of that a conspiracy theorist would enjoy sure. is crammed into this book and it's, it's given, um, a bit of, gravitas by associating it with the Philadelphia Experiment, you know? <laughs> yeah. In some quarters, man. In some quarters. <laughs> that, that definitely gives some gravitas.
1: Uh, this green glow has been explained away by most people as uh, maybe an electrical storm or St. Elmo's fire, mm-hmm. um, and it was just, you know, maybe just another part of this story that people took and ran with it, or maybe it was nothing at all.
0: Uh Yes. Um It also could have been the Office of Naval Research put out a fact sheet on what they understand about the Philadelphia Experiment. And they said um it's possible another origin, or the origin of that specifically, was experiments with the USS Timmerman later on after the war in the 50s. Yeah. Where they tried to use a small generator that was higher power than the generator that was currently on board, and it actually caused coronal discharge, a glow. Yeah. Um, and they said that no one was injured, no one was enmeshed into the ship. No. It was just a glow was created, which is what you'd expect from a very strong electrical field, right? Yeah. So they think possibly that combined with, um, the degaussing stuff they were doing during World War II came together, um, and helped this legend take off. But what they say also though, And what was supported by this um, reunion of USS Eldridge sailors in 1999 is that even the guy who debunked and discredited everything that Carlos Allende said, um, Dudgeon, he he was full of it, too, apparently, because the USS Eldridge wasn't in Philadelphia then. It was in Brooklyn.
1: Yeah, they got together in Atlantic City, and I read an article on this meeting, and they they had a good laugh and said that one of them uh, even has... Something about it on his license plate, just so people like ask him about it. And a few of them said they would pull people's legs and say like, Oh no, I disappeared and my hand was caught in the ship. Mm-hmm. And then they would say, no, none yeah. of that happened. Yeah. But, uh, they said that it was in Brooklyn and the ship's log uh, confirms that. So, um, apparently it wasn't even in that shipyard that day at all. Right. So that's, that's the only part where I'm like, well, wait a minute. How could they completely invent that it was even in the shipyard? Why wouldn't they just use a ship that was there? Uh, because this you know, guy. This it would guy, give it a little more credence if there was at least a ship there.
0: But that's what I'm saying. Like, um, uh, Carl Allen, he made, he said all this. He was the one who just came up with it from the beginning.
1: Yeah, but it, it, I don't know. It uh, just seems a little weird that he, he, didn't care at all about making it believable by picking a boat that was actually there. Well, that's what I'm saying. He may have been there at the time.
0: He may have known that the Eldridge was there and just fudged the date because he couldn't remember because this is like 12 years later, 12 or 13 years after the fact. You know what I mean? Bad memory. Right. (laughs) So maybe he just got the date wrong and the thing really did happen and then the ONR would be like, oh, that experience. Yeah, oh, yeah, we teleported a battleship.
1: (laughs) You just got the date wrong. So... We've mentioned quite a few things here that why this thing has lived on through the years um, there uh, that uh, Jacques Vallée theorizes that, you know, anytime you have like a movie made about it or any kind of imagery, whether it's a photo of the Loch Ness monster mm-hmm. to uh, a photo of the Montauk monster, people are going to have something physical to point to and say, look, they made this movie. And that's when people started coming out of the woodwork was after the movie saying, oh, yeah, I was there. I remember that now. Michael Perret just reminded me <laughs> of yeah. this thing that happened. He also his my
0: favorite thing on his website is that um he met the person that he later realized was the actor Mark Hamill in Hawaii yeah. in 1956. But Mark Hamill would have been five at the time. Well, did he say he was a little nice little kid? I don't think he was a
1: kid. <laughs> he said he's a full grown adult. Interesting. Uh, what else? The, um, the fact that it's the, the federal government, of course, and the, and the military, you know, people are going to run with that stuff. Which, I mean, that's the military's fault. I oh, remember. Oh, well, yeah, sure. They did secret experiments, still do. Tons of them.
0: Yeah. Back in 1993, some stuff that got declassified and it really opened people's eyes to the fact that the government and the military experimented on, un uninformed and unwitting subjects not just in the, in its um, ranks, but also in the general public. Yeah. So yeah, it's totally uh, the idea that the military would do this um, with its own people on board. Yeah, that's believable. Probably the most believable part of the whole thing.
1: Agreed. Uh, and also, just um, throw Albert Einstein in there. Throw in uh, secret scientific theories uh, that haven't been proven. And it's just uh, ripe for the pickin' yeah. when it comes to conspiracies. Yeah. And the suicide, of course, like it, we mentioned earlier. That definitely doesn't help. It did not help the case any. But um, this is one that I, I, I had a hard time finding people that still believe this.
0: Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people like it aren't aware of it even. Except for the movie. You know what else helped it get legs? There was a book in 1979 and it was called um, the Philadelphia Experiment colon Project Invisibility, and it was reprinted in in excerpts in papers around the country, as as fact or yeah. nonfiction, in 1979. Does not help. Doesn't help things, you know.
1: I personally, with all conspiracy theories, I just I I enjoy reading this stuff. I think it's fun and funny sure. and yeah. uh, interesting. I don't there aren't any that I really believe in. But um, I do think it's funny when people get all, all up on their hackles and write in that you know you that's when are making fun to... of this stuff and it's you know you don't know could yeah. be real.
0: Well, that's the other thing, man. I'm I'm glad you brought this up because they're like the just being like no, this is not possible. That's like, stupid. Stop thinking stuff like that. It's like no, this is at the very least people using their imaginations and a, a, a exercising it in ways that I don't typically do. Sure. And so it is nice to come kind of visit it and check it out and, and read it, you know?
1: Yeah, although I claim to have seen a ghost. So what do I know?
0: Exactly. Although, I have to say, probably the best excuse against this, there are two things that just say, just on its face, this isn't right. One, this happened 70 years ago. And if the military successfully transported a battleship, We would know about teleportation by by now. Yeah, they'd be doing it all over the place. Exactly. The second thing was a quote from Robert Gorman, the guy who tracked down Carl Allen, in that 1980 Fate uh, magazine article. He wrote, if we are to believe Carl Allen, our naval hierarchy, abandoned sanity and historical precedent by conducting an experiment of enormous importance in broad daylight using a badly needed destroyer escort vessel. Yeah. I think that kind of sums it up nicely. Agreed. But go forth and read about the Philadelphia Experiment because it is interesting stuff. Watch the movie.
1: Meh. <laughs> Why not? Is uh, it on Netflix? No, it's on YouTube. <laughs> you watch it on YouTube? Yeah. I can't believe you made it through it.
0: I did. I'm telling you, like, I mean, I was working, too. I had two, like, windows open,
1: but... Okay, there you um, go. It was fine.
0: Yeah. It was fine.
1: It's, it's as believable as Tron. That's Josh's review.
0: <laughs> uh, let's see. If you want to know more about the Philadelphia experiment, you don't have anything else, right? No, sir. Uh, you can type those words in the search bar at how stuff works. And since Chuck said Tron, it's time for listener mail.
1: I'm going to call this uh, email from an up and coming podcaster in Georgia Bulldog. Nice. Hey, guys, my name is Bailey. I'm a junior mass media arts and theater student. Good old UGA. Go dogs. Woof, woof. Uh, My professional identity aside, I'm also a longtime listener and lover of you guys. I listened to my first episode on the bus home from seventh grade. That's so... (laughs) Wow. I'm pretty sure it was an episode on brainwashing. So she's in college now. Uh, I mainly listen to y'all as I'm working on my on-campus job uh, bus driving. Did you ever take the buses in Athens, the student bus?
0: I was so crippled with social anxiety that if I couldn't find a parking space, I would just skip
1: class because I didn't want to get on the bus. <laughs> you had social anxiety? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, didn't want to get to know anyone? Or you just... Uh... I just couldn't bear being around peers at that age. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it, the buses were always a little scary because it was like, here's a 40-foot long bus full of students and it's driven, driven by a 19-year-old... A student. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's scary
0: for me for different reasons, but I can imagine it's scary for that reason, too. Yeah, I took him a few times. I mainly walked.
1: Um, Okay, where was I? Bus driving. So, my passengers have the honor of listening to you as well. Oh, I guess she plays it out loud. That's nice. That is nice. That's the party bus right there. I guess so. The other day I was driving, I realized it's my destiny to produce and host a podcast on campus. Uh, We don't really have anything like that, so I'm excited about it. My idea is to have me and another host be... Constance on the show, and every week bring in a different UGA professor or Athens professional or general awesome person to talk about the one thing in their field that fascinates them the most for about thirty minutes. Uh, it would include informal conversation between the three of us about a topic, highly inspired by y'all's witty banter. Nice. Uh, anyway, because you guys are my muses, I would want to uh, wanted to ask if you had any advice for a baby bulldog podcaster uh, as an MMA major. I feel like I have the basic knowledge and resources for the technical side, but as far as what makes a good episode, I'm feeling pretty shaky. Uh, what is your environment like? How much do you prepare for the actual script? Do you have a specific formula for every episode? I'm fascinated. And that is Bailey Johnson. Uh, you got any advice? I will give you the same advice I would give
0: anybody starting out in podcasting. Bailey, get good mics. Mm-hmm. It's worth the expenditure make it sound good. and they probably have them on campus, I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you can finagle your way into a studio with good mics, yeah, do it. oh yeah, do whatever you need to do to get that done uh, and then release on a reliable schedule that are those are the two keys to to begin with. I mean like as long as you're releasing on a reliable schedule, people will come to appreciate what you're doing.
1: yeah, and uh, my advice uh, as far as scripting goes is, You know, we've said this a billion times on different interviews, but we don't script stuff out and we don't go over stuff with each other. We just do our own research and try and have as natural a conversation as possible, which I think has helped our show out. That's not to say that you need to do that. But I think being relatable and um, conversational helps uh, rather than feeling like you're being read a script. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know a lot of people that would be as into that. So my advice would be try to make a conversational Um, You know, maybe go over it with uh, whoever your co-host is, some, at first. She's a theater major, right? Yeah, you should be pretty good at this stuff already. So, yeah, I'm sure she's good at ad-libbing. She probably
0: finds comfort in the idea of a script. I don't think there's anything wrong with starting out trying that, but if it doesn't feel right or you're not getting good feedback about it, then... Try, it, try something else.
1: Yeah, my, my I guess I would say maybe try, like, instead of a script, try, like, an outline mm. um, that That's you like share a, with each other. The poor man's script. Yeah, <laughs> so you've got a little roadmap ahead of you, and uh, we kind of just, we've been doing this for so long, we don't need that. We don't need an outline, But uh, we have our own roadmap that we share via our brainwaves. Yes. Roadmap not, to the White House. It's not
0: written down. 2016.
1: So those are... Our points of advice, um, we don't have a specific formula. We just try to talk about things that we find interesting. That's, a, I think that's a key, too, man. Yeah, be into what your own topic is, because uh-huh. that'll show for sure. Yeah.
0: Although we've also found that like just about everything is interesting if you dig hard enough. Everything sure. has a story. Yeah. So if something's like really boring you,
1: maybe abandon it, but you can also try digging harder. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So uh, good luck, Bailey. Send us a link when that's up, and we'll uh, plug it for you. And um, and since you're doing
0: an interview show, your goal should be with each interview to make that person cry.
1: <laughs> you know what, Bailey? I'll e- I'll even be on your show if you want. Whoa! Ooh! <laughs> nice. Chuck. Yeah, I'll do that. If you get it up and running, and you need somebody, I'd be happy to sit in. That is so nice. Why
0: not? Why not? I will I'll, too, if you want.
1: I don't know if I'll go to Athens. Uh, yeah. Not that I don't like to, but it might just be easier to do it on the phone.
0: Okay. We'll
1: see. Bailey, he's laid it out there for you. <laughs> get in touch. Uh, all right, Bailey. Good luck. Uh, class of 17. That's crazy.
0: Yep. Uh, who started listening in seventh grade. Goodness me. Uh, if you want to get in touch with uh, Chuck or I, uh, Chuck or me, yeah, Chuck or me, yeah. uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcasts at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
1: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.